Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things, friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. All right. Thank you, choir. Thank you, Lisa and kids. How about one more round of applause for everybody who helped us out today? I am going to give you a one-step process today, one step, how to ruin Christmas. One step. You ready for this? Here's how you ruin Christmas. You just keep asking this one question, what do I get? If you really want to completely ruin Christmas, hey, that's a great idea. Zach, can you draft a couple of people? Bill, can you help us move these altars back in place. They're supposed to be on the next step up. There you go, right there. Very good. Very strong people. Look at that. Fantastic. If you want to ruin Christmas, make sure that you make it a refrain. Make sure you make it a refrain. What's in it for me? What do I get? Now, I know. For kids, it's this huge temptation, right? I mean, kids start thinking long before Christmas Day. They're they're doing the countdown, right? The daily countdown. And you and I are very spiritual, very holy. We're doing an advent calendar, and we're, we're very spiritual, very holy as we're counting down to Christmas Day. But the kids are going, I get to open presents on the 25th. I get, to, I get to open perhaps lots of presents on the 25th. And it's only made worse, it's only made worse when those presents wrapped start to show up under the tree. Then it's almost unbearable. I mean, I myself can remember when I would sneak in cover of darkness and I would actually peel back a little bit of the wrapping paper, paper just to kind of finally reveal what it is that was in that box that was going to be for me. I did that up until I was about 45. If you want to ruin Christmas, make sure you keep asking, what's in it for me? What do I get? What do I get? What do I get? If you want to ruin Christianity, I'm going to give you a one-step process. You keep asking the question, what's in it for me? What do I get? What do I get? What do I get? What do I get? And here's the thing. Christians ask that question. And in fact, Christians are so uh, interested in the answer to that question that there's really great danger in not answering it well. There's great danger if you don't give, not us, because again, we are Advent calendar sorts of very holy people, sweet people, I know us. I'm talking about all of them, not us, okay? But there are people who insist on a particular answer to what's in it for us, and if they don't get it, you are going to be in trouble. You're going to be in trouble. Advent season, this holiday season, the Christmas season, is another way for us to look at one another and remind one another what this Christianity thing is all about. 
to remind one another that we can ask a better question than what's in it for me. We are in Joy Sunday. This is where we make a turn and we are headed toward Christmas Day. And in fact, when we gather back together at five o'clock in here on uh, Christmas Eve, Sunday, Christmas Eve, that will be a very celebratory, joyful sort of occasion. We are gonna be making the turn right into the joy of the Christmas season. But what do we mean when we say joy? We start that process today, the third Sunday of Advent, Joy Sunday. I think joy is one of those words, kind of like holiness and kind of like sanctification, that those of us who have grown up in the church have heard every week and every season and every year. We've heard it so often that we're now familiar with it, but that doesn't mean that you understand it. You can hear something often enough to be familiar with it and even nod when the pastor says it. That doesn't mean you understand it. Joy might be one of those words, short word, Seems like, as often as we use it, we should understand it, but I don't know that we really get what God is saying and what all these carol, these people who wrote these beautiful carols, what do they mean when they use this language of joy? Is it the kind of joy that I feel when I'm really anxious to open the presents that are for me on Sunday morning? What is this joy that we're talking about? Is it in any way self-interested or self-directed? Or is there something deeper and better going on that even Christian people can miss every once in a while? I know. As we get older, we don't feel like we have to go and and peel back the paper a little bit and see what it is that we're going to get this coming Christmas. But we still have to wrestle with self-interested sorts of postures during Christmas. I tell you where you can really see it, right? You can see it when people get super pumped up about the deals they get on Black Friday, high five, amen. I I love this commercial. That must have been some sale, Patty. Jim just had to have it. We saved big. You? I had to have this. Wow. Love all of this. It lights up everything. This holiday season, see your GMC dealer and get something you really want. And get something that you really want. Switch to GMC and get... Go to GMC and get something that you really, really want. Is that the joy? Is that the joy I'm supposed to be experiencing? Is that the joy that I don't completely understand? Is it at the GMC store? Amen. I just, I love that commercial. I love, I love her reaction. Ah, I like that a lot. But I love how they're sort of competing with who got the better deal because maybe that's where the joy is, when I can do Christmas and save a lot of money. Amen, Joy. I, I want you to save money. That's good. It's a good thing. It's a good posture. Is that where the joy is, though? Is that where the joy is, when, when I can win Black Friday, when I can win in the competition that I have with my neighbor, I'm a better shopper, I got more for my dollar than you did, is that where the joy is? It is for a lot of people, it is for a lot of people. I think we have uh, the capacity to under underappreciate and underutilize Christmas and the messaging of the Advent season because I think we have the same capacity to underappreciate what it means to be Christian There's this incredible verse, and and this has for a long time been an important verse around here. Let me set the scene for you, and then we're going to kind of backtrack a little bit. 
This is Jesus who goes home. He's in his hometown. He goes to his hometown synagogue, and they hand him a scroll. I mean, this is, this is a, he's become this very well-known, very popular figure out there in the countryside, and he's come home, and we're very proud of him. We're going to hand him this particular scroll, and he's going to read from it, and he's going to read really good, helpful words, and he read these words, and you probably have heard them before. They hand him this, this scroll, and here's what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. And here's the big line, to proclaim, of the, the, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Oh, man. Now, these people have heard these words before. If you grew up in that particular synagogue, if you've grown up Jewish, you've been singing these songs, you've been praying these prayers for a long time. These people knew what Jesus was reading. They knew he was reading Isaiah 61. They knew that this was talking about a liberation that was coming for the people of God. They wanted this liberation. They wanted to be free from all of these various forms of captivity, not the least of which was the Roman Empire. They, when they asked the question, what's in it for us, they knew what the answer was supposed to be. They wanted to be God's chosen people, that God would choose all of, he would choose these people against all other people. This was great stuff that Jesus was reading. This was great stuff. They were probably rocking back and forth in their pews, nodding, making that little clicking sound that Christians make. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. We love this. We love this. And then Jesus rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Probably sat down where he wasn't supposed to sit probably sat down where the people who interpret these scriptures are supposed to sit, and Jesus sat there, this young upstart sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and then he began to say to them, yeah, that whole jubilee thing, the year of the Lord's favorite thing, this, this realm, this era of freedom, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That day you've been aching for people, that day is this day, says Jesus, because I'm here. Pretty good stuff. You would think that they would want to give him a standing ovation. They did not. In fact, listen to this. At first, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, isn't this Joseph's son? And then he said to them, doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb, doctor, cure yourself. Now these people are starting to say to Jesus, hey, What's in it for us? What's in it for us? How do we get what we want? Jesus, be our Oprah. You get this, you get this, you get this. Jesus, it's time. Do here in your hometown the things that we have heard that you did at Capernaum. And Jesus responds to them, ah, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. And then he starts to re-narrate their own story in ways that they find infuriating because in answer to their question, what's in it for us, Jesus says, listen, what God was doing, God bless you, young man, how about that? I'll get it on me somehow, but I appreciate it. In answer to their question, what's in it for us, Jesus' response is, it's always been for everybody, not just for you. Okay, now, now hear this, hear this. 
in answer to the people of God who are asking the question, hey Jesus, when do we get what we get? Hey Jesus, what's in it for us? In answer to that question, Jesus says, you've misunderstood the whole project from the beginning. The whole project from the beginning was this. Yes, God says, I will gather a people to myself. I will gather a people to myself, this people and not that people. But I will gather a people to myself so that I can, through those people, get all the people. You see, the the people of Israel, much like the Christian people, I think, listen to the first part of that sentence and they're so excited about it. They're so excited about it that they lose train of thought, they lose attention, they don't listen to all the way to the end of the sentence. They like the part where it says, God has a people that God will claim as God's very own. And all God's people said, amen. The end of that sentence is, so that God can, through those people, go get all the people. What's in it for me is an inadequate question. What's in it for us as the people of God is an inadequate question. Let's let's talk a little bit about this concept of salvation. Are you saved? Many of you will say, yes, I'm saved. Good, good. Do you know though that you're not just saved from something? In fact, in fact, Many of you are visiting today. If you're gonna go back home, uh, please be careful with the words I'm about to say. <laughs> Don't get me in trouble with your pastor. Ready, here it comes. If you only understand yourself as being saved from something, if this whole Christianity thing is just about your eternal security as a person, if you only stand, understand your faith to be about you being saved from something, you have not understand faith. You have not understood faith. And that is a misrepresentation of the heart of an inclusive God. Hey folks, are you saved from something? I hope so. Just as, if not more importantly, you are also saved for something. Not just saved from something, but also saved for something and saved to something, to this movement, this mission, this people of God, there's a reason that we think as highly as we do about baptism because that is one of the tangible, visible ways that we demonstrate that you are adopted and initiated into this movement. You aren't just saved from something, you are saved for something and you are saved to something because God is trying to do something in and through all of us, for all the world, for all the people and all of God's people should be saying right here, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, It's not that God is angry with you if you sitting where you are today have only heard and you only demonstrate that you're being saved from something. It's not that God is so mad at you. It's that you are living beneath your privilege. It's the person of God meant to be attached to the people of God. You're living beneath your privilege. There's more for you. Don't you want us to be eternally saved and salvaged from whatever hell is? Of course, but we've got lots to do between now and then. And that comes as a natural consequence of your understanding that you are saved for something and to something. God has in mind 
connection with us as the people of God always has. God has in mind the kind of connection that would allow there to be a changed future. God plus us equals a changed future. He's always been trying to say something like that, all the way back to Genesis 12. God said to Abram, before Abram was Abraham, I choose you, and I'm going to make you into a giant people group. And through that people group, we will bless all of the nations. God has always wanted to say, yeah, I will have a people that I will treat like a covenant partner, and then our marriage, our marriage will change things. And not just for the people involved in the marriage, but also all the people who are around that marriage. Something will change. But the people of God have constantly struggled to remember that plan. Constantly. And so they have found themselves in trouble time and again. They found themselves walking and wandering away from that plan. <clears throat> they have found themselves in the crosshairs of the ramifications of choosing against that plan. They'd ask so often, what's in it for me? What's in it for us? What's in it for me? That they finally wander away from this partnership, this covenantal partnership with God. And they wander into oncoming traffic that we now understand to be the exile. But now as we get to our verses for today, but now here's what's happening. God, we heard this last week, God says, comfort my people. Yes, they have wandered into oncoming traffic, but I'm telling you right now, I choose them again, I'm gonna change their circumstances again because that's what I'm doing as a good covenant partner. That has happened. Finally, the people of God have come back home. So now they are going back to, their, to the ruins of their old city, the ruins of the temple, the wall around the city is in tatters. They've come back and things aren't going well, but God is still choosing them. God is saying, I'm going to choose you and we're going to, with, with this union, we are going to change things, and not just for you, yes, for you, but also for all of that will happen around you. Jesus was reading from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because this Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and release to the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Okay, so hear me say it again. Christianity is not just about your soul. In fact, Christianity is not just about souls. As Dr. Green has been saying for a long time around here, Christianity ultimately is about bodies, warm bodies. Christianity is about changing things back toward God's original intentions. Christianity is about how you and I are employed in God's purposes and mission to do more than just make sure that somebody makes the decision, but to, to make sure that somebody has a chance to see grace displayed and can choose this way of life. We say this around here a lot too. Christianity is really an odd way to be alive. It is, it's an odd way to be alive because it is a way to be alive that takes seriously that God can and will and wants to reorganize life today, here, not just hereafter. And so God comes again to a disobedient people, rescues them, restores them, and tries to bring them back to this place where they can be employed again in God's service, the covenant partner of God, and he's saying to them again, hey, be these people. Don't just do soul care. Make sure that you bring about the year of the Lord's favor. 
This concept of jubilee is an interesting one. There was this belief that once every 50 years, the entire Jewish society would have a giant do-over, that all debts would be canceled, family land would be returned to the original owning family, that everybody would get a a fresh start, that all kinds of things would go back to sort of a, a zero because there was captivity in the way things were going. So this year of the Lord's favor, once every 50 years, was a way to reset everything and to set people free, to set people free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, if you will do this, you will not just take care of souls, says God, but you will reconstitute a society. They shall build up ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Now, how will we do this and why will we do this? Because this is the way that we are good covenant partners with God and this is who God is and this is what God wants for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. And all who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I love this. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being, this is like a response to this offer of being remarried, to be married again to this God with this great covenant We respond with, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with the garland, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness or right relatedness and praise to spring up before all the nations. Hear me. Hear me. God has in mind that God would, through the chosen people of God, change things, change everything. You and I, we cannot afford to underappreciate what it means to be Christian. And we are underappreciating what it means to be Christian if all we care about is a decision and a soul that is somehow eternally secured one way or the other. That dramatically under-respects and under-appreciates what it means to be Christian and what it means to be a part of the people of God with the mission of God. God has in mind the reorganization, sure, of lives, but the reorganization of households, the reorganization of a neighborhood as best we can do it, the reorganization of all of creation, and you and I recognize as we look around and we watch the news screens, we recognize that things aren't always going very well. And so, we take up this Advent posture. This Advent posture goes like this. Yes, we recognize that Christ has entered into this world. We recognize that Christ, through the incarnation, has entered into this ugly world. And we believe that because Christ has entered into this world, Christ, the one who lived, who died, and was resurrected, we believe that because of that resurrection, that we have all the resources we need to partner with God as the covenant partner of God to move things toward a better place. But we all recognize, we recognize that we're not getting there just yet. We're not there just yet. We need God to come and finish what God started. That's what Advent is. A recognition that God has come in Christ, made a dent in this world, 
Recognize that God has come for us so that we can help God make a dent in this world, but it is the full recognition that still we need God to come and finish what God started because salvation has skin on it. Salvation is supposed to have skin on it. And I think you know that. Here's why I say that. We served 76 families at Christmas Blessing. Thank you. Those of you who helped us, thank you. We served 76 families. 140 gifts were purchased for Giving Tree. 60 kids were helped. Another 19 families were helped. I think you get that. Beyond that, you and I are perhaps aware of different stories in the church where people have needed help. They've needed help for various reasons, and slowly but surely, the people of God who recognize that Christianity is not just about soul care, but it's about whole life care, have taken their rightful places as the covenant partners of God, and they have changed things for the better. Yes, with Christmas blessing. Yes, with the giving tree. Yes, in these various individual stories, hear this, slowly but surely, we are acting like the covenant partner of God. And when God has a covenant partner, the result is change. The result is change. Now, not if you're preoccupied with soul language. Not if you're preoccupied with your eternal security. Not if you're preoccupied with this question, as it has to do with faith, What's in it for me? What's in it for us? But when you finally understand that God's heart is big enough to choose a people so that God through those people can choose all the people. <laughs> when you finally recognize that God has eyes for all the people. Well then, you can be involved. Then, you can move around as the covenant partner of God. Now hear this. And then, there can be joy. Then there can be joy. Now it's not a self-interested sort of joy. It's not a what's in it for me kind of joy. It's the kind of joy that glories, that glories in being used by God in the benefit of others. In other words, there can be joy when you and I as Christians finally figure out what it is that God wants to do in and through us, when we find where we fit in the overarching story, that's when there can be joy. I'm not sure if there can be joy if you're constantly asking the question, what's in it for me? What's in it for us? Who can I leave on the outside looking in? I am certain there can be joy because I have seen it in your faces. I'm certain there can be joy when you and I finally figured out where we fit, and we fit, we fit with God as the covenant partner of God, and our union changes things. If you are helping us today to set this table where we sort of make official every week that we are saying yes to the God who is always extending God's self to us, then go ahead and come and help us to get ready to serve this meal. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. And God, with these elements, help us to understand where we fit and how it is you want to use your people. God, help us to take this bread that is now taken, blessed, broken, and given, and help us to understand that 
We are being prepared ourselves to be the bread for the people around us, taken, blessed, broken, and given. Help us to understand, Lord, that this is what it means to be people of faith. Not that finally we'll be able to articulate exactly what we believe, but that we recognize that we are being used in your service as your covenant partner to change things, to change things. In a moment, I'll ask you to stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and then come forward with your hands cupped to receive these tangible gifts of grace. Understand these tangible gifts of grace as tangible extensions, as tangible invitations to, again, be a part of the means whereby God restores all things. Receive this little piece of bread as you walk toward somebody holding a plate of bread with your hands cupped. Jeffrey, in this case, will take a piece of bread, snap it off and place it in your hands and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Don't eat it just yet, but take it and dip it into the cup. Someone standing right there will be holding a cup. When you do, that person will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. And then I want to encourage you to find a place to pray. If you come to one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing and someone will meet you there to pray that prayer for healing. If you come to one of these mourner's benches, kneeling benches, we won't assume a thing, but we will come and pray with you. Or you can circle right back around and go back to your seat. Our baptismal pool, our baptismal bowl of water is over here this time because of the way that we need to reorganize the platform. If you need to be reminded that you are amongst the baptized, that you belong to this mission and movement, then please come and just dip your fingers there in that water and let that water remind you of the moment of your baptism and your inclusion in the mission of God. It was on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. Every time you eat of it, remember me. Later on, he took the cup and he held it up before them saying, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink it, remember me. Who is welcome at this table? All of those who understand their need for grace are welcome. No matter what you've done, no matter what you dragged in here with you, if you understand your need for grace, you've come to the right place. If you can't come to us, Jason and Aaron will be coming to you. Otherwise, across the sanctuary now, if you would, stand to your feet. Exit your pew to the left and come forward to receive the gifts of God meant for the people of God. You have loved us. You have loved us so. You have loved us so. So we love all. You have blessed us. You have blessed us so. You have blessed us so. So we bless all. Thank you for Christ.
Heavenly Father, we confess that there are days that we live beneath that privilege. There are days when we are tempted, perhaps intimidated by the culture around us, and we end up asking very self-interested questions. Even as it has to do with faith, we can ask, what's in it for me? What's in it for us? 
and not fully appreciate how it is that from the beginning you have seen fit to separate a people out to call your very own so that through those people, so that through that union with those people that you might reach all the people. We confess, Lord, that we don't always understand that to be the case. But hear us, God. We want you to invite us again. We want you to come for us again. We want to be part of the means whereby you restore all of creation. We want to be those people. And now hear us, God, as we pray for one another. As we do move towards these moments of prayers of intercession, tune your hearts and your prayers towards those in your life who specifically, deeply and desperately need God. Let's start with that prayer we oftentimes conclude with. There is someone here who has walked into this sanctuary and is in a pew next to you whose heart is heavier than all of our hearts. Church, would you pray for that person who is so desperate this morning that they know that they desperately need God right now. Would you pray for them as Mark plays just for a moment? As Advent continues on, the march towards Christmas and Christmas Eve, would you pray for those who this is especially a blue Christmas season? life is not as it should be. Would you pray for those in your life who this season means that they've experienced loss either very recently or at any point in their life that this is going to be a difficult time. Stresses of family and things to get done and all the chores of life. That prayer can be a prayer specifically for you or someone close to you. Would you pray for the person who this week may be a difficult one? of intercession, would you join me in prayer as we continue to ask for God's faithfulness in the life of some of our members who need specific healing touches from you. Lord, we think of Debbie McKenzie, who's at home now in hospice care. God, I ask that you would come alongside her and Bobby and your family in a real tangible way this week. Lord, we ask you'd be with Larry and LaDonna Bennett and ask God you'd continue your work in her life and healing of her brain cancer. Lord, we ask that you would be with our dear friend Lee Nichols as he's got surgery for bypass this Tuesday. Would you come alongside Lee and Linda, Betty and others this week? Lord, I ask that you would be with our friend Teresa Miller and ask that God, we are so grateful for all you've done, but ask for your continued love and care for her and her family. There are others in the life of our church who you know, and in these moments, as Mark plays, would you pray for them, your family, your church family, someone who needs a specific touch from you. 
And during this moment of silence, my prayer and yours too might be for our friend Kelly Yates. As we move towards the close and towards the Lord's Prayer, Lord, we ask that your joy and peace and love on earth through us might be seen in our homes, in our relationship, in our workplaces, in our schools. Lord, in our neighborhood, in our nation and world, may we be the light of your advent to the world. Sometimes, God, may we do it through believing and living into this prayer the prayer you taught your disciples to pray. And if you're unfamiliar with this prayer, it'll be on the screen in front of you. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory.